going to learn a hundred times more from failure than you will from the you know, success and mm-hmm. that um, you will never forget uh, the you know incredible things that you do learn from the things that don't work right. <laughs> and you will be so much better for it. Hi everyone, super excited to share my conversation with my friend Alexa Buckley. Alexa is 27, grew up right outside of Philadelphia where she went to Episcopal Academy for high school and then went on to Harvard. During her senior year at Harvard, she and her friend Sarah Pearson came up with a dream of starting their own shoe company called Margo. Although they were passionate about the idea, they had already committed to jobs in venture capitalism and consulting. However, they suddenly became inspired when they heard Cheryl Sandberg give the commencement speech to their graduating class at Harvard in 2014. Cheryl said, what would you do if you weren't afraid? That moment sparked a fire in Alexa and Sarah to forego their planned corporate jobs, take a risk, and dive headfirst into starting Margo. In the spring of 2015, just a year after their graduation, they successfully launched Margo, which has evolved over the past three years into standard and made-to-measure comfortable and chic ballet flats, heels, loafers, slippers, sandals, and boots. They've had several pop-up stores all over the country in places like San Fran, Boston, Palm Beach, and Nantucket. And just a couple months ago, they opened their very first flagship store on Bleecker Street in the West Village in New York City. Throughout our conversation, we talk about the setbacks, the rejections, the importance of resilience, the aha moments, working with a best friend, and so much more. I especially love how Alexis told her story in such a humble manner. Okay, so before we start our conversation, because Thanksgiving is just around the corner next week, I wanted to let you all know that my good friend, Brittany Fenkel, and her family just published an awesome children's picture book based on their true story of how they cook for a homeless shelter every Thanksgiving and all the great feelings that go along with it. There aren't many Thanksgiving books out there for kids, and this one is really sweet. It also makes a great gift. A portion of the proceeds of the sale of this book go to Project Home in Philadelphia which works tremendously hard to break the cycle of homelessness and poverty in Philadelphia. The book is called Gobble Gives a Turkey and can be purchased through their website. I'll make sure to include the link in the show notes. Thanks so much and have a great Thanksgiving. Okay, so welcome Alexa to High Five Success Stories. Super excited to hear your story and I always love when I have the opportunity to feature guests from Philadelphia, given that I have a strong Philadelphia listener base. And I know you went to Episcopal Academy, which is located right down the street from where I went to school, which is Notre Dame and Villanova. And I've also featured um, some of your close friends that we just talked about, so Neely and Chloe Birch. And for the listeners um, that haven't done so yet, definitely check out my conversation with Neely and Chloe. They are sisters and have an awesome entrepreneurial story. So Alexa, I thought we'd start out by having you provide us with a little bit of background on where you grew up and went to school. Yes. Uh, well, thank you, first and foremost, for having me. Of course. Uh, so, so thrilled to be included. Uh, but yeah, I grew up right outside of Philadelphia in Wayne. I went to Episcopal, like you said, mm-hmm. and graduated in 2010. And from there, I went up to Boston, um, where I was at Harvard, and now I'm here in New York. So what sort sort of influence did your parents and family members have on you growing up? Were they entrepreneurs? Do they have any, you know, sort of influence on you like that? Yes. Um, 
I am lucky in so many ways to come from a family of entrepreneurs. So mm-hmm. I think, you know, that had a tremendous impact on my, you know, ultimate career trajectory. But um, I come from a very close-knit family. Um, my father is an entrepreneur. My grandfather's an entrepreneur. Even my great-grandfather. Uh, my aunts and uncles are as well. So there is a lot of passion and a lot of, mm-hmm. you know, beating to our own drums. Uh, but, you know, I grew up, I have a younger brother, um, family of four in Wayne. I was an athlete growing up. I think that, you know, in retrospect had, uh, you know, another sort of immensely important impact on, um, you know, my time at college and, you know, now what I do for a living every day. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as I was thinking about kind of diving in and foregoing the job offer that I had signed and kind of jumping into starting a business of my own, you know, coming from a family of entrepreneurs and having the support of my parents and my dad who had done that and has spent his entire career supporting entrepreneurs mm. was the thing that I think gave me just enough courage to take yeah. what was ultimately a pretty terrifying leap of faith um, to kind of dive headfirst into it. That's awesome. And then you said you played a lot of sports. So what sports did you play growing up? And then I know you went to Harvard. Did you play sports there as well? Yes. So okay. I grew up playing soccer and lacrosse mm-hmm. and um, played at Episcopal and then played lacrosse at Harvard. Okay. Awesome. Do you think it helped you being a student athlete? Like the... Definitely. Okay. Definitely. I think, uh, you know, all things easier in retrospect, but I think the kind of fundamental kind of trait of resilience is probably the most important thing that came from being, you know, a student athlete at Harvard. Mm-hmm. I think, um, you know, this idea of kind of getting up when you get knocked down and mm-hmm. kind of continuing on is probably one of the most essential, I think, uh, traits of being an entrepreneur because the highs and lows happen so frequently, mm-hmm. often within like a few hours of each other yeah. in a day. And I think this sort of resilience, this kind of grit, the scrappiness that mm-hmm. is required of, you know, a D1 athlete is like certainly translates, right. I think, to life as an entrepreneur. Definitely. Um, I did track at Penn, so I can totally relate. There are days oh, I, I thought about quitting every single like all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow made it through the four years though. So I read that it was during your senior year at Harvard that you thought of the idea um, with your co-founder Sarah of of Margot. So yes. was that a lightning bolt moment, or was it more of an idea that evolved over time? It was. It was definitely an idea that evolved over time. So Sarah and I, we met when we were freshmen. Uh, we were roommates, sophomore through senior year, mm-hmm. and we both found a lot of time in the corporate world. Um, I was working in venture capital. Sarah was working in consulting kind of during our summers in college and returned to school senior year, um, having signed job offers to go back into those respective fields. And it was sort of during our senior spring when we had some time on our hands to sort of think about um, all things that we sort of dream up the idea for, you know, what is now Margot today. And it was, you know, it began as a conversation, I think as most many businesses do, uh, discussing a pain point that we had both recognized um, having spent just enough time in the corporate world, which is this, you know, very inconvenient shoe shuffle that so mm-hmm. many, especially urban dwelling women do on a day-to-day basis where they have a pair of shoes they put on kind of to take them somewhere mm-hmm. and then another pair of shoes they put on when they arrive. And this kind of decision between style and comfort, we felt women were having to make, you know, in so many different areas of their life that was sort of particularly acute in footwear and that there wasn't necessarily in our minds a shoe that you could put on in the morning and feel beautiful and feel dressed in and also start and end your day in and kind of go from the subway to 
the office to dinner and beyond wearing just one pair of shoes. Mm-hmm. Um, so this was sort of the genesis for the brand. Okay. Um, and as we sort of began to dive in and kind of explore this idea of really creating a shoe that was and is as beautiful as it is comfortable. Um, and so Alexa, were you, we re- you were still at Harvard at this time, right? Yes, we were still okay. at Harvard. We were making secret trips to New York to prototype okay. these things. <laughs> uh, it was all kind of crazy and a whirlwind. Um, and kind of during this time, we realized that the way to accomplish this sort of perfect wear everywhere shoe was to focus on fit in footwear okay. uh, because that was sort of a means to an end in creating this kind of perfect wear everywhere shoe, but it was also a very unique way to enter what is otherwise you know, sort of a noisy market and mm. do something that no one had ever done before. So mm. that brought us sort of to graduation in May of 2014 okay. uh, when we both decided shortly after graduation that we were far too in love with this idea to walk away. Okay. So we called our employers. Uh, it was terrifying, but we were lucky that they were as supportive as they were. Mm-hmm. And we moved to New York, uh, got a windowless office in Soho, and dove it right in. Dove, yeah. And then I read also, um, Cheryl Sandberg gave the commencement speech, right, during your senior yes. year? And didn't she yeah. say something that sort of um, like sparked the fire a little bit? Yes, uh, definitely. She, yeah. So Cheryl was our commencement speaker, um, okay. really lucky, and yeah. it kind of an opening to the crowd. Uh, she asked our graduating class, what would you do if you weren't afraid? Mm-hmm. And it was sort of in that moment that Sarah and I, sitting in the rain with our families, looked at each other and locked eyes mm-hmm. and kind of knew the answer to that question. Yeah. So that was the spark, um, and it then only took a few days for us to – uh, kind of make the full decision and dive right in. Mm-hmm. And for the listeners who don't know, so Cheryl Sandberg is awesome. She works at Facebook and she's written two amazing books too, um, Lean In and Option B. And she's also on like so many different podcasts. So um, it's so yeah, cool that incredible. she was your commencement speaker. Um, so then, okay, so you graduated from Harvard in 2014 and decided that you were going to start up Margo. Um, so what was that first year like when you moved to New York? Did you launch it that year or were you more just developing the concept? We, yeah, so we, we, we worked in the business for about 10 months before we launched. So it happened okay. pretty quickly. Um, so that first year was a whirlwind. It was, you know, an exercise in so many things because Sarah and I were, you know, not only new to the industry, but new to the world in general. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as difficult as that was, I think kind of the silver lining uh, was that we were very honest okay. kind of with what we knew and what we didn't know. And we really sought out the experts in every bucket of the business to kind of help us, you know, leverage our vision mm-hmm. and uh, be bigger than we could be just the two of us. And okay. so that first year was a lot about assembling this kind of incredible team of advisors and consultants and uh, mentors and at the same time really kind of building out this world of Margo from mm-hmm. products to website to packaging to, um, you know, brand materials, um, you know, taking trips to Spain to our factory mm-hmm. to convince them to produce shoes in a way they'd never done before. And we ultimately launched in May um, of 2015 and um, the rest is history. Yes. Yeah, I love that. And then can you tell us a little bit about Margo and how it's different from the other shoe companies? Yes. Um, so we kind of believe in perfecting the footwear staples for our modern woman mm-hmm. through this lens of comfort and fit. 
Um, And we feel like sort of this idea of style and comfort shouldn't be mutually exclusive and that today's woman deserves to have a pair of shoes that really are as beautiful as they are comfortable. Mm -hmm. So we have started with a single silhouette, which was our classic ballet flat, and reimagined through the engineering of the shoe every detail um, and have accomplished this through our unparalleled sort of size offering. So all of our shoes come in narrow, medium, and wide widths in an extended size range that our customers can't find anywhere else. And I think of all the things that we learned in our first year in business, of which (laughs) there were many, um, the kind of most, I think, impactful feedback that we got was that this idea of fit was not as niche as we thought it might be Mm -hmm. and that this was solving kind of a far greater problem than we had initially realized. So from the single ballet flat that we launched with, we realized we were tasked from our customers to build out this footwear wardrobe. Mm -hmm. So from the classic flat, we now have a more casual ballerina, a pointed toe shoe, um, a heel, a loafer, and last week we launched a boot, um, which has been very very exciting week. And I just bought the um, ballet flat, so and they just came in the mail on Wednesday. Oh, great. Yeah, so two days ago. So they're awesome. So I highly recommend them. Um, But one question I have, too. So I know you both were two, you know, 22-year-olds just out of college. So did anyone think you guys were crazy, or did you encounter any naysayers, and how did you not fall victim to them? Yes. Oh, my goodness. We heard no so many more times than we heard yes. Mm-hmm. Kind of been everything we were trying to accomplish. Um, you know, I think especially going into the footwear industry, which is sort of antiquated um, in so many different ways and but largely male-dominated, the idea of convincing a factory owner to completely rework his factory line in order to produce widths for us and to made-to-order shoes, which we also do, mm-hmm. um, custom sizing, was no small task. So, you know, basically everyone said no this was going to be impossible until we found, um, you know, a factory owner that was willing to take a risk on us Mm -hmm. and believed in the vision of the brand. And I think this is where that piece of resilience really comes in um, because it was that relentless kind of commitment to the vision and belief in what we were building that, you know, propelled us through those moments of Mm -hmm. no one else believing in it but us and kind of slowly but surely finding that the most important people um, that we were going to bring onto the team, you know, certainly were skilled and impressive, but I think the most important trait to those people was that they also believed in the vision of what we were building. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're excited to kind of dig in and figure figure it out with us as we go. Yeah. And one question I have too is um, raising money from, you know, potential investors because I actually talked about this with – your buddy's Neely and Chloe. And then, I don't know if you know Susie Welsh-Devine. She started Binto. She went to Agnes Erin. Um, oh, great. But they um, they both mentioned how, and I didn't know this, that mostly investors, it's like some crazy statistic that 90% are men. Like, there's hardly any women investors, really. Um, and they said yes. that they both, they both said that they would go into a room full of men and they had to sell them a woman-based product. So it was often a struggle. So we'd love to hear about, you know, how you navigated that journey, um, you know, pitching this idea to a room full of men. Yes. Uh, last year, 2% of venture capital dollars in Silicon Valley went to women. Wow. Um, female founded businesses. So yeah. it's, um, you know, an incredible challenge Mm -hmm. and I think kind of the most difficult thing is articulating a problem that you know oftentimes the people on the other side of the table aren't familiar with so this idea of shoes being uncomfortable and inconvenient and having to carry another pair in your bag or have another pair into your desk was not a problem um, that by and large resonated with 
the kind of general audience of investors that we were pitching. Right. And I think the hardest thing was kind of having to spend so much time articulating the problem in those meetings instead of sort of focusing on the business. And um, it's, you know, there is no solution other, other than to kind of kind of stay relentless right. in the search for those people who really do understand and do believe in it. And we have had success and have, you know, fantastic male investors mm. who have been our greatest champions. But mm. I think that we quickly realized the moments in which there were at least one woman on the other side of the table uh, kind of dramatically changed the equation just of the tone of the conversation right. um, and kind of the level of the discussion. Mm. And you mentioned the word grit a lot as you're talking about, which I like because I always reference um, – Angela Duckworth's book, Grit, The Power of Passion and Perseverance. Yeah. So, and I think that you just define what the word grit means. You know what I mean? Like getting through those meetings and pushing through until you find the investors that really believe in you. Um, So with a lot of the entrepreneurs I've interviewed, they say that they become so passionate and enthusiastic about their idea that suddenly doors begin to open. So did Margot have any major breaks in the first year or so that helped them get off the ground? Or did you, the company have any aha moments where you knew you were on to something great? Yes. Uh, that's a great question. I think, you know, one of our biggest breaks was finding our, um, product engineers when we were three months into building the business who now still work with us today. Mm -hmm. And we had heard no from so many footwear designers Mm -hmm. and found, um, this incredible duo who had their career in the footwear industry and built brands, launched brands, Mm -hmm. built factories, worked in factories. And, they had kind of aha moment with us and realized that there was an incredible opportunity to build something that hadn't been done before. So the two of them taking a chance on us and opening their world of factories and kind of supplier relationships was our biggest break in our first year, without a doubt, Mm -hmm. um, because the manufacturing industry is otherwise fairly opaque. Okay. And from there, I think, you know, the journey of the last three years has been a sequence of, of small the critical breaks Mm -hmm. um, from raising capital to kind of finding the right people to bring around the business Mm -hmm. um, to launching a new product and realizing that the opportunity was far greater than, you know, a single product brand, which we initially launched as. Okay. And then um, how many people are on the team today? I know you started with Sarah, but, um, but how many employees do you guys have today? Um, We have sort of 10 um, full time. And then we have a larger sort of, incredible family of part-time employees, whether mm-hmm. it's in our stores um, or as consultants and advisors. So sort of nets out around 30. Okay. Very cool. Um, so a lot of the times listeners may put my guest on pedestals because of all the success they've had. But as we know, everyone is human and experiences setbacks and or failures. So can you tell us a story about a time you failed or experienced, you know, setbacks at Margo and how you persevered? Oh my goodness, yes. I think <laughs> the story of an entrepreneur is kind of constant learning. And yeah. I think these setbacks are um, frequent and, and we come, become you know, better for them. Um, I think you know one of our greatest early setbacks mm-hmm. um, or just a moment where I remember as a very young entrepreneur feeling yeah. stunned what we were going to do is we had worked uh, for several months on the launch of a new shoe that we were sort of over the moon about and okay. felt like this was going to be the next big thing. And um, we took beautiful imagery. We had a great kind of campaign around it. We launched the product um, to great fanfare and wonderful reception from our customers. And all of a sudden we started getting letters that there was something wrong kind of with the side of the shoe. Okay. And, um, you know, I had no idea what was going on in the kind of, 
next three weeks, we realized pretty quickly um, that our factory had kind of, for some crazy reason, missed uh, one important piece of reinforcement in a very particular part of the shoe that would kind of reinforce the entirety of the shoe. Okay, got it. And, you know, it was our first factory issue. It was our first product issue. Mm. We were stunned by, you know, with disappointment um, and also what the heck are we going to do and I think it was one of the greatest learning moments because we had to craft on the fly um, actually from the road we were on the road for an event a very comprehensive strategy and how we were going to reach out to every single customer who had yet to receive or had received these shoes and um, you think of a really thoughtful approach to how we were going to handle it and I think the most important thing that came out from the disaster that felt like was that month of disappointment and and chaos was that we understood the importance of this sort of like customer centric approach to the brand and this kind of concierge like service that we provide um, with customers kind of uh, being at the forefront of everything we do and right. we went above and beyond to take care of these customers um, and being extremely transparent and thoughtful with how we communicated with them mm-hmm. and we actually found that in so many ways it strengthened our relationship with customers and we didn't kind of lose them or turn them away we were able to take a moment that felt so low and turn it into something that was a real opportunity for um, a surprise and delight moment with our customers and okay. so from that moment we've uh, kind of built on this you know, customer first uh, mantra uh, mm. at the brand and I think we continue to learn that every time we can go above and beyond for a customer we've you know, done something that they'll never forget mm. and that we can in this kind of noisy world of a lot going on um, develop a real connection with the customer. Mm-hmm. I love that because I always talk about the art of listening too with my different yeah. guests and how important it is because listening it's hard too um but i always bring up this one story about a ceo of a company that kept writing down dnt on his yellow notepad and one of the employees after the meeting saw and asked what it meant and it, the ceo said it reminds him do not talk this way you can just sit back and listen to all the team members so i like so great yeah and so you guys constantly have to listen and take feedback from from your customers Constantly. Um, We have never stopped iterating on our products. We're constantly making changes and tweaks, and it all comes from customer feedback. Mm -hmm. Um, We have a really kind of high-touch approach with our customers, so anyone who orders a made-to-measure pair of shoes gets a personal follow-up from one of our fit specialists. Um, You know, everyone is kind of surveyed after they receive their product, no matter what product they purchase. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're pretty maniacal about NPS, and we find that our stores are an incredible sort of test lab of sorts for us to have real-time feedback from our customers as I try on shoes, they gravitate toward, toward different styles. Mm-hmm. We have our um, in-store managers and associates write down any kind of feedback that they pick up from customers who did or did not purchase and why. Mm-hmm. And that has informed sort of everything we've done from an iteration standpoint today. Mm-hmm. I love that. And then Alexa, how has the business evolved over the past three years? I know you guys just opened your first brick and motor store. And then um, would love to hear about your pop-ups because I know that I read that the, the in-person experience is very important to you guys. So if you can elaborate on that, that would be great. Yeah, so I think um, you know, one of the biggest surprises we've had is that, it, you know, in May of 2015, when we launched online as a direct-to-consumer brand, mm-hmm. we had no concept of how powerful the offline component of our business would be. Mm-hmm. And in the past year, we've come to realize that this is um, – going to be kind of a critical lever for our growth and our scale. So we have 
have a few pop-ups and yes, we just opened our very first brick and mortar permanent store in New York city here in the West village. And I think what we've come to realize is that there's a real pent up demand um, from our customers to come in and kind of with our value proposition of comfort and fit Mm. to try on the shoes and feel how comfortable they, they feel and sort of have this Cinderella moment when they realize that they've tried on the narrow, the medium and the wide width. And Oh, by the way, they never knew that they're actually a wide, um, not a medium yeah. or how, whatever it might be. So um, that has been a tremendous surprise. We kind of took the brand on the road doing pop-ups short-term all over the country mm-hmm. uh, in our second year of business to test this. Um, and when we realized the power of it, kind of dove head first in. So we've had pop-ups in resort towns like Palm Beach and Nantucket. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have had pop-ups in bigger cities like San Francisco and Boston, okay. um, kind of both lasting six or nine months. Mm-hmm. And uh, just kind of brought it all home sort of after learning a lot about how retail works for our brand and for our customers and opened our first permanent store mm-hmm. here. I love it. Think you'll ever open a store um, in Philadelphia? <laughs> I would love that. <laughs> yes, I think it's a definite possibility. We have um, an incredible base of customers in Philadelphia, so we are eager to get back there in some way. Oh, good. And then I'd love to learn what it's like working with a friend because, um, you know, like how do you guys divide and conquer? Yes, so um, I am I feel so lucky to have, um, you know, a best friend and a business partner. I think Mm -hmm. it's incredibly rare and I don't know, you know, how you could do it without each other, but we sort of divide and conquer based on our personalities. So Sarah is kind of detail master and she oversees all internal operations. So finance, production, um, logistics, web, and um, I oversee external operations. So marketing, social media, partnerships, PR, um, and retail. And we kind of meet in the middle at product design and have an incredible team that sort of plugs in everywhere across the board as well. But I think kind of the journey of being an entrepreneur is um, accelerating, but also emotional. And mm-hmm. I feel like intensely um, appreciative that we get to do it together and we get to ride these highs and lows together. And there's mm-hmm. someone to kind of fight through the, mo- the tough moments with and there's someone to celebrate with. And yeah. uh, we are each other's sounding boards. We have, you know, we're two halves of a whole at this point. We right. share a brain and often show up to meetings wearing the exact same thing that's happened oh my yesterday, God. actually. Okay. <laughs> um, it's it's really fun to have someone to do it. Oh, that's awesome. As we were talking about earlier before we started, um, so Margie Walters Adzik is a childhood friend of mine, and I know that you've spoken to her um, a couple times. Yes. And um, I just talked to her yesterday, and so Margie just launched an amazing company called Addison Bay. Um, she launched yes. it in September, just two months ago, and Addison Bay's mission is to be the premier multi-brand destination for active fashion. So basically, it's a one-stop shop for all of your everyday active wear, and she's doing an awesome job with it. So I thought it'd be fun to include some questions from Mark because she literally just started her business. So um, her questions might be a good resource for listeners that might be thinking of starting their own business or who might also be in that, you know, first couple months of the entrepreneurial um, stage. So here are a couple questions from Margie that she wanted to know. So she asked, what's the least glamorous part of starting your own business? <laughs> um, the least glamorous part is that when you first start, you uh, you do all the jobs. Mm-hmm. So there was a moment in time where Sarah and I were, you know, in a press meeting, in, you know, 
with Vogue, and then we were in on the subway to our factory, to which was at that time in New York, to okay. dust the shoes, pack the shoes, and carry them ourselves to FedEx, yeah. um, and then go to the warehouse to help with organizing, you know, then just arrived inventory. And right. I think it is, as unglamorous as it was, wearing all the hats at the beginning was really important because then you understand what really needs to get done with every kind of piece of the puzzle and job in the business. And you're able to, you know, empathize with your employees when they were doing them and also hire the right people um, for those positions. I love that. And then she also asked, what have been the most successful marketing tactics that you have invested in? Digital advertising, influencers, or traditional PR? Um, you know, I think the most successful sort of two, the two-pronged approach that has been, you know, incredibly successful for us in the past month or 12 months has been the the combination of digital marketing. Mm -hmm. um, so exactly that, Facebook, Google, Instagram advertising, okay. um, alongside about the other end of the spectrum, offline activations, so pop-ups and stores. And we find that in so many ways it's sort of like a cyclical, um, very complementary two-pronged approach for our customers because okay. people are discovering us online, they're converting their first purchase in person, okay. and then they're repeating back online again. Got and it. so they feed each other and they fuel each other. And mm -hmm. um, we don't really think, you know, as a business that you can do one well without the other because right. they really support each other. Okay. And then what sort of, sort of advice would you offer to listeners that might be interested in starting their own company? How would you encourage them to pull the trigger? Uh, um, you know, I... Uh, I think the most important thing is being able to identify, you know, a pain point or a problem that you're trying to solve mm -hmm. and kind of being able to clearly articulate um, what makes you different and, and what makes you special. Um, you know, when you can do that, you know, you have something. And from there, it's just about having the courage to dive in. And right. I think that um, there are, we're, we're lucky to live in a world that is you know, has these ecosystems of people who are here to help. And I think I found the entrepreneurial community to be incredibly supportive, you know, at every step of the way. So diving in isn't as scary as I perhaps thought it might be. But mm -hmm. I think once you're able to articulate that vision and the specific kind of unique differentiation point, um, it's just about diving in. Yeah. So you and uh, Chloe and Neely Birch are my youngest guests. So I would love to hear um, – so, so basically a lot of people I interview are like a little bit older with kids and everything. So would love to hear how you make time, you know, socially for things because the fact that, you know, you aren't married, you might have a lot of time to completely devote your whole entire day to the business. So how do you kind of step back and create a work-life balance? Uh, it's really hard. Yeah. <laughs> it's really hard. And I think it's a, you know, constant evolution. Mm -hmm. And um, I think kind of embracing the, you know, the, the, the evolution and the kind of the journey of it is mm -hmm. half the battle. Right. Um, you know, there will be times that like the past three weekends that I've been on the road uh, and I've been working and, um, you know, that's what I'm doing in that time. But this weekend I'm here in New York and I'm going to you know, try to make time to unplug and, yeah. and really be here. And I think, um, you know, there will never be a perfect solution. I realize I've been kind of waiting for that moment where I feel like I have a down pat. Right. And I think kind of being you know, comfortable in the discomfort of, mm. you know, always changing, um, is, is important, but, mm. you know, Sarah and I really try to take time on the weekends at least to you know, make sure that there is time offline and unplugged, but it's definitely hard. Yeah. It's definitely hard. So we're getting better at it. I uh -huh. think it's certainly a skill that you can hone. Um, but it's, um, 
always changing. Right. I hear you. So I'm going to ask a, qu- a couple quick rapid fire questions. So when you think of the word success, who do you think of? And it can be more than one person. When I think of the word success, uh, I think my dad. Mm-hmm. I think he's done an incredible job building businesses. At the same time, he's been, you know, uh, a father and a husband and a friend in so many ways to everyone in his life. And I, I don't know if I know anyone who does it better. Mm-hmm. I love that. And then what advice would you give to your 22-year-old self, so when you were just graduating Harvard? Uh, I think I'd give myself two pieces of advice. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first would be, you know, that you don't, you you really don't have to be an expert in what you want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, in order to go after it, you really have to be kind of willing to work hard enough to figure it out. And I think the other thing that I would tell myself then, who was probably a lot more afraid to make a mistake then than I am now, is mm-hmm. that you're going to learn, you know, a hundred times more from failure than you will from the you know, success, and mm-hmm. that. Um, you will never forget uh, the you know incredible things that you do learn from the things that don't work, <laughs> right. and you will be so much better for it. And then, do you have any particular daily routines that help you conquer the day? Um, you know, a couple things. It's never you know as organized as I would always like it to be, but I you know a couple of things that are really important to me is exercising in the morning when I can, so mm-hmm. early before the day, you know, pretty early before the day gets mm-hmm. started. Um, having like 25 to 30 minutes to just have a quiet time in the morning. It's mm-hmm. not on my computer. Um, it's where I write down my goals for the day. It's where I have a like, big delicious breakfast and mm-hmm. a cup of coffee and kind of just like reset myself. Um, and then taking at the end of the day that extra 30 minutes, mm-hmm. um, which I'm still working on. It's not perfect to yeah. not be, you know, in front of my computer on my phone and doing just the same thing to kind of unwind. Yeah. Uh, what do you do to work out in the morning? Just out of curiosity. Um, you know, something different every day, Pilates, mm. yoga, run, okay. um, and, you know, recently getting into dance cardio. Oh, very cool. Yes. Um, I, I've seen that a couple of, um, I follow something Navy and I, I, I see that she, she yes. does something on those lines. It looks really cool though. So if you could give one book to every person, what would it be? If I could give one book right now, I think it'd be shoe dog, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, because it's, is I think a great story about a business that we are all so familiar with, and I think mm-hmm. you know Nike is probably one of the, if not the single greatest brand in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love that the story is so much about the beginning and mm-hmm. sort of, you know the very unsexy you know parts of starting a business and right. the parts where it almost doesn't work or it almost goes bankrupt. And I think you know everybody has had these crazy moments of oh my gosh, is this actually going to work? And right. to hear it from you know, one of the greatest entrepreneurs of our time is. Um, I think a really, really fun read. So it's called Shoe Dog? Yes. Okay. Um, it's about the kind of founding story of Nike. Of Nike. Very cool. I'll include it in the show notes too. So if you could put anything on a billboard, what would it be? I would say, I think it would be about taking the risk and that you're kind of, you're never going to learn or mm-hmm. understand what you accomplish until you dive outside of your comfort zone mm-hmm. to try it. Yeah. Um, because I think the kind of greatest rewards come mm. from those things that are at the outset pretty terrifying to take on and right. certainly aren't perfect in getting there, but I think it would be yeah, just that. Yeah, I love that. And then any um, departing last words or advice for the listeners? And of course, where can everyone find and follow Margo? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, parting last words are uh, know that I think with drive and with passion and with a very, very clear and sort of relentless vision. Mm-hmm. You know, I think anyone can dive in and, and do this and 
kind of go after the idea that they're noodling on or have been thinking about or stewing on for some time. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the meantime, if anyone finds themselves in New York, our store is right here on Bleecker Street, okay. um, or we're in Boston and Palm Beach next week. Okay. Um, otherwise, our website is margony.com, and you can shop everything there. Awesome. Well, thanks, Alexa. That was so yes, much fun hearing about you your story. And I love them. I read a lot um, about you guys, but I always learn more, you know, just through the conversations. Hi, everybody. Thank you so very much for taking the time to listen to High Five Success Stories. To learn more about the podcast, feel free to follow me on Instagram. My handle is at High Five Success, or on Facebook, you can like High Five Success Stories with Steph Hayden. Or I'm also on Twitter. My handle is at High Five Hayden. And lastly, you can subscribe to the newsletter on my website www.stephhayden.com. And if you get a second, I would really appreciate it if you could rate the podcast on iTunes. Thanks so much.